Welcome, church. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. Uh, we, we are talking about when God is silent. And silence can be extremely uncomfortable. Right? In fact, it doesn't even take a lot of silence. Just a few seconds, and we can get a little uneasy. So I'm glad you're here as we're talking about what do we do when, when God is silent, and not just for a few seconds, but for an extended amount of time. And, 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 and specifically this morning, what do we do when, when life is really hard, like life is difficult, and yet God just seems not there. He just seems absent. So I'm glad you're here with us this morning. My name is Brandon. I'm the pastor and, and want to say welcome. If you're new, I would love to meet you and say hi. I hang out in the lobby right after the service. So come find me and I, I would love to, to shake your hand and, and welcome you to New Hope. But we are jumping into this week two of, of this series about God, when God is silent. And uh, silence in the right context, though, can be beautiful, Right? I mean, it can, be, it can be amazing. And in fact, almost expected. Um, w- when you go to a movie theater, if it's silent, you're like, that's how it should be. In fact, if it's not silent, you're probably doing this. <laughs> like, what are you doing, right? Silence is expected and, and desired and, and, and makes the experience better. How about this? When... Um, some of you who uh, maybe you love the nature and especially in Central Oregon, probably most of us love getting outdoors. And, and when you're out in the forest, maybe you're camping and you're, you're going on a hike and it's just silent. It's just quiet. You hear just, just some wind, maybe some, some birds, but the city noise is gone. And uh, if you're out solo, like people are gone. It's just, man, I love this. I love just the, the, the quietness of being alone and and on a walk, um, or maybe, maybe for some of us, and, and maybe you live for this, this is what you look forward to, when you finally have the house to yourself, <laughs> and like everyone's gone, and you're just like, oh, what am I going to do? It's so, I'm so excited. I don't know what I'm going to do. There's so much to do, and it's just, it's just, love it. I love the silence, but uh, how about this one? That person, when that person um, who, who is always seems to be talking, always seems to have something to say when they finally stop talking. You're like, oh, silence is golden. It really is, right? But here's the deal. Silence can also be terrifying. There are plenty of circumstances in our life where silence isn't what we want to hear. If you have kids and, and you know they're playing upstairs or they have friends over or something and you're like, oh, you're, and all of a sudden it's silent. And you, if you're a parent, you know something bad is happening. Either someone is really hurt and they don't want to tell and get in trouble or they're doing something that they know they shouldn't be doing and, and you know it's a little too quiet, right? Um, or, um, or how about this? Uh, when you get in your car and you start it and you're expecting to hear a certain sound and you get nothing. You get tick, 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 tick. Oh, no. Right? Everyone's response in that moment is, that's the last sound I needed to hear today. I, I, I needed some, some noise. Um, how about this? This one's super awkward. Uh, when uh, maybe you walk into a room and everyone stops talking. Has that ever happened to you? 
maybe a party or hang out when you show up and you're like, hey, everyone, and they just sort of, oh. <laughs> oh, well, that's not the sound I wanted to hear, right? How about this? When you're praying to God and you get nothing and it's silent. That's not, that's not the golden sound of silence. The, the silence that we get from God is not what we would say is, oh, wow, this is just beautiful. That silence is not at all what we want. So what do you do when God is silent? Ready? A couple things that we know. Number one, right out the gate, and you know this to be true, I'm gonna say it and we're all gonna be like, yeah, that's right, that's right. In fact, no one's gonna disagree with me. Ready? Here it is. Life is hard. Point number one, ready? Right out, as we start this morning, just to remind you, listen, life is hard. Life is hard. And, and the longer you live life, the more true that becomes. And you understand, oh man, when I was young, you know, life was fun. And I, I think of my kids, like their life, like the hardest thing they have to do is to decide what snack do I want right now. And it's like torture for them to do it until we just like throw a snack at them. Like, that's the one, I picked it for you. Like, that's the one I didn't want. And then a fight ensues. And then, you know, I just, I'm waiting for the house to be empty again, just waiting for them to go to school or something. And like, but as you get older and as you go through life and as you experience more things, you realize, man, life really is hard. In fact, in fact, it's one of the things you can, you can expect. Like we can guarantee life is going to be difficult. Not every second of every day of your entire life, but there will be seasons that you go through. This is just really, really difficult. We find ourselves in circumstances and facing challenges that seem, that seem insurmountable. It seems like, how am I gonna get through this? How are we gonna get past this? How are we gonna get through this difficulty or this, this relationship issue or this financial struggle or whatever it may be? And, and, and it seems like, man, this is just, I, I, don't know, I don't know how it's gonna get any better. Life, life is hard. And the second thing we know, life is hard. And for whatever reason, and like this, we don't want this to be true, but this can be the truth. And it can feel as though God is absent in that moment. When life is hard, God can feel absent. He's just missing. Maybe we, it feels like he's distant or absent, or maybe it feels like he's just really busy helping everyone else's life. Like I get on Facebook and man, everyone has a wonderful life. A wonderful life. Except here's the problem. I know these people and I know some of the backstory and I'm looking at this going, well, that is not entirely accurate. <laughs> but man, does it make us feel like we're the only ones struggling. We're the only ones going through it. And it, it can feel like, why, am, why is my life so hard and everyone else is just wonderful and they're posting all kinds of wonderful posts and stories and pictures and it's like, man, God, where are you? You're so busy making everyone else's life so awesome. Why can't you help me out? We may be tempted to lose faith, to give up, to question faith. And this sentiment of questioning God, of like, God, where are you? And what is going on? is not new to us. It's, in fact, in fact, it's all over the scriptures. And we look at the people who, who wrote the scriptures and they experienced these same kinds of, of doubts and questions and frustrations with God himself saying, God, where are you? Where are you? We, if you were here last week, last week we, uh, we started this series and we talked uh, about Jeremiah. 
And we read from Jeremiah chapter two and, and Jeremiah is, um, he is easily, easily the most downer of the prophets. Like you don't read Jeremiah and go, man, I feel like I can conquer the world. I'm so excited. I feel so uplifted. You read Jeremiah and you're going, I, 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 after last service uh, last week, I had one guy come and tell me, he's like, man, my Bible reading plan, may have me reading through Jeremiah. And I'm like, Lord, please just get me out of this book. <laughs> because it's just, his, his life and his writing, it's just, wow. He, he experienced real hardship and struggle and depression and frustration and questioning and all of it. And we looked at Jeremiah chapter two and, and he talks about, um, uh, he gets a word from the Lord and he talks about God like saying, you're worshiping these stones and these, these trees and all these idols and you've left me and you've, and you've built for yourself cisterns, but they're broken cisterns and you're trying to do life without me. And, and here's where you are. And we talked about maybe sometimes for a lot of us, God is silent because we're not focusing on him. Instead, we've tried to do it on our own. We've gone our own way. And then what do you know? It doesn't go so great. And then we say, God, where are you? And he says, I've been here all along. You've just been ignoring me. There are times in our lives where, where God is right there. We just aren't listening. We can't hear him through the distractions. So we saw that um, last week that we went through a little bit of the history of Israel and we saw that there's, there's 12 tribes and there's a civil war that takes place and 10 tribes stay together. They become Israel. Two um, of the southern tribes, they became known as Judah. Um, so you have Judah and Israel and, uh, and then Israel is conquered, becomes conquered by the Babylonians. So they're no more. And so now it's just Judah. And Judah has, uh, has the prized city of Jerusalem, but that's all that's left of Israel. And so Jeremiah shows up on the scene as the prophet to kind of one last chance for them to repent and to return to God. But instead they've gone, they've gone their own way. And they've done, it says that they've done evil in the sight of the Lord, what was evil in the Lord's eyes. And instead of worshiping him, they turned to other false gods and, and, and other deities. And, and Jeremiah is saying, you guys got to stop. You got to stop. You got to stop. Please, please, please. This is, I'm, I'm sort of your last chance. And, and what do you know? They don't stop. And so they get conquered. The Babylonians come, King Nebuchadnezzar, he comes and he conquers now Judah, the kind of the final remaining Israelites, and he takes Jerusalem. And the end of Jeremiah describes the whole scene. It describes this, this, uh, this, this conquest and particularly the destruction and the overthrow of Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar and what he does. And it's like, man, this is terrible. I, I, you, if you're alive at that time, you can't imagine anything worse. And now you're either killed or taken into captivity now to Babylon. And this, if you remember last week we talked about, is where Daniel shows up. Daniel was one of those who was captured and taken to Babylon. And we get the book of Daniel. He writes that while he's in Babylon. And, and, and this is the setting. Like, and so, so now Jerusalem has been conquered. Everything that Jeremiah was warning them against has come true. Everything he wanted them to do, they didn't do. And, 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 now, and now he writes another book called Lamentations. And it's one big lament. Again, Jeremiah, man, you are killing it in the encouragement category. He's like, I'm gonna write a book and it's, what do I call this? What do I call it? Lamentations. That's what we're gonna do. I'm just gonna lament this entire thing. And so we, we, we see him write about now his experience. And, and uh, Jerusalem's been, been conquered. Everyone he knows is either dead or dying or taken as prisoners the city he tried to save that he loved so much is now gone. And we see, and he must be feeling this, his ministry was a complete failure. His job was to get 
Israel to return to the Lord. Instead, they didn't, and now they're gone. And so he is easily the lowest point of his life, the lowest point. In fact, maybe if it was us, it would be the lowest point of any of our lives, where, where we are now conquered and overthrown, and now this, this outside group, this, this pagan nation is now, they now have Jerusalem. Oof. This God now that Jeremiah has dedicated his entire life to, that he served and spoke for and with and about, this God is now silent. At this moment now, God is just gone. And we see him right now, Lamentations chapter three, he's gonna cry out to God. Now, some of what he writes, we can't even imagine what it would feel like, but but some of what he writes, as we go through this, you'll, you'll read, and, and if you've gone through a really traumatic experience or crisis or struggle in life, more so than kind of the normal day-to-day, but like, no, man, you remember that season? I never want to go through that season of life or that experience or, or that time period. Man, that was the worst of the worst, and it was, it, it was unbearable. As you read some of his, like what he says, you may even say, that's what I felt like. I couldn't even put words to it before, but man, that is, that is what it felt like. And then for a few of us, I think, for some of us, it might even be, I'm in that season right now. It's not, that's what it felt like. It's, that is what it feels like. Here's what he says. Lamentations chapter three. He starts by saying this. I am the man. I'm the guy. I'm him. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. I'm the guy who's experienced now the worst of the worst. He, now the Lord, has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He cries out, and here's what he says. It isn't just that God's absent or silent. I feel like he is actively, intentionally against me. His hand is against me day by day, all day long. It feels like God isn't neutral. It feels like he's against me. A few verses later in verse eight, he says this, even when I cry out, I call out and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. Even when I cry and I call and I pray, he doesn't listen. It's like he's saying, I don't want to hear it. Now again, some of you, you've, you've experienced this. You, you, you've, you hear this and you're saying, I've, I know, yeah. That is what it felt like. A few verses later, because again, he keeps going. Verse 12, he says, he drew his bow and made me the target for his arrows. This is the Lord doing this to him. He says, he pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. It's, it's like God is using me as target practice just for fun. And my heart, my heart is his target. Oof. This isn't just God is neutral or absent or, or busy. It feels like God is against me. A few verses later, verse 17, he says this. I have been deprived of peace. 
I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say, my splendor is gone. And what else is gone? And all that I hope for from the Lord. Everything I hope for, it's gone. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I will remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. What he's describing is an experience so much more than just simply, oh, I had a bad day. He's describing the lowest point of his life, and it's not just a moment. It is a, a number of moments. It is, it is a season, a long period of time, and he says, day by day, all day long, I feel this. And, and, and I, it doesn't matter what I do or what I try. It feels like, it feels like God doesn't even care. What he's describing is what we now know in kind of in today's circles is often described um, as the dark night of the soul. This term was first coined by, um, by St. John of the Cross, a, uh, a Christian mystic saint in the 16th century. And he, re- he talks about this, this experience and, and he refers to it as a, a spiritual crisis of extreme struggle. Where, dis- where, where this person experiences struggle and despair that they experience on their spiritual journey. So much more than just sort of a, a relational issue or a physical struggle that this, this now is a spiritual crisis that they enter into. And that this experience is not, is not short. It often comes after maybe an intense interaction or, or, uh, or connection with the Lord, a, a period of, of spiritual growth. And then all of a sudden, this just shows up. This dark night this profound spiritual darkness and emptiness shows up and it can last for months or even years. He was the first to term it, but many, many people have written about it since saying that this seems to be a common experience within faith. Not that everyone experiences it, but that many do. This, this is not a temporary setback, but a prolonged and intense experience lasting a long time. It's a time of testing and purification, but it's also filled with doubts and struggles and questioning and feeling like, God, where are you? This, this is describing what Jeremiah experienced. Sometimes people may experience this as a result of, of a traumatic event, a life-changing event, maybe the, the passing of a loved one or, um, or, a, or an accident or a crisis or a tragedy that, that this, with no warning, it just sort of happens and you're thrown into now this, this period where, man, yesterday everything seemed okay and now I don't know which way is up. I don't know what to do. Others may experience this as just an ongoing part of their spiritual journey where, where many of us maybe have gotten to a point where it's just, man, I, I just got, I, I've, I, this describes me. And it's not a result of some event or crisis or trauma. It's just, I've just been feeling this and I can't just, there's, there's no just snap out of it. R.C. Sproul, a, a theologian, a modern day theologian, he passed away a few years ago. He writes about the dark night of the soul. Um, he says this, this is no ordinary fit of depression, but it is depression that is linked with a crisis of faith, a crisis that comes when one senses the absence of God. When you say, it isn't that God's busy, but it's just, he's just gone. And he doesn't even seem to care. What do we do in those moments? When, when life gets really, really hard, really difficult, and God seems 
absent. He's just gone. Thankfully, thankfully, Jeremiah is going to tell us what he did. And, and we, we can follow in his footsteps and do the same thing. Many, many have. So what do we do when life is hard and God feels absent? When life is hard, ready? Here it is. This is what we're going to do. Remind yourself of a particular thing. Remind yourself of God's character. Not of what he's done in the past or, or what he didn't do in the past or what, he's, what you want him to do in the future or how he's not coming through or, or reminding myself of all the things that are going wrong in my life and there's this thing and there's this thing and there's this thing and he didn't fix this and he didn't solve this and, 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 and this is a, a problem and, and this didn't go well and this is going wrong. He says, no, 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 here's what you do, ready? You remind yourself not of your circumstances, not even of what God used to do and what he's not doing, instead, Focus on who he is. Remind yourself of his character, of what God is like. And he's going to get more specific, thankfully for us, so we can also kind of understand, all right, this is what we're supposed to do. In Lamentations 3.21, a few verses after all of this kind of just verse after verse of despair, he says this, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. He's going to remind himself of these of three particular things. And these three things are the things that he says, this is what gives me hope. Because I'm going to remind myself of these three things. The first, he's going to remind himself of God's great love and compassion. That even in the midst of, of intense struggle and turmoil, he says, yet I know about God's love, his great love and his compassion. He writes this in verse 21, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. And then he says in verse 23, this is amazing. He says, they are new every morning. Day by day, he feels like the Lord is against them, but he's reminding himself, I know that's not true because every morning his mercies and his love and his compassions are new. Every morning I wake up, they're new. Even in, in our darkest moments of suffering and despair, God's love and compassion are with us. They are new every morning. Let me, let me, this has helped me. So let me just kind of help illustrate this with you, okay? Just so you can kind of get the feeling of like, oh, that makes sense. Um, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, paint a hypothetical here, okay? Do you know what a hypothetical means? It means I'm not really gonna do this for you, all right? Imagine I'm gonna give you $10 million. Hypothetical, hypothetical right? I'm going to give you $10 million. I don't have $10 million. And if I did, you know, you seem like a nice person, but I might use it elsewhere. But imagine, right? Just for the sake of argument, I am going to give you $10 million and, and there's no strings attached. I'm not telling you what you can use this on or what you should go buy with this or, or what you should spend it on. But I'm going to say, here you go. I can imagine every one of us will take that and say, all right, I can put this to good use. And it isn't like, you know, here's the lottery and here's the, now your life's going to be terrible. You get to decide. So you're going to pay off your, all your debts. You could pay off your mortgage. You pay, uh, pay your kids' college or pay off their homes and like people you know, and you're going to be able to build charity, like start charities and build schools or orphanages. You're going to help the, help your community. Like, all right, like I could, man, $10 million. Wow. That could, that would, that's life changing. I mean, it's literally life changing. I could do almost anything I want now. 
I can quit my job and go and do that, that thing I wanted to do, start that ministry, start that, that I, I can do it now. I can do it. This is like, this is everything I wanted. Now, I imagine, okay, here you go. I give you the check. You go cash it. You go, you go put it in your bank. It will be, right, um, odds are, as difficult as life may be, I think it'll be a little less difficult, right? I imagine, I imagine there would be at least a little less complaining out of you, right? There's still things to complain about, but hey, like my life's changed now, right? And, and you would take that and say like, that would solve a lot of my problems, a lot of my struggles. Man, that'd be great. That would be great. And I'm gonna, I decide how it goes. Yeah, you decide every penny. Man, I can manage that. I could do that well. I think I could do that well. Now imagine I add one stipulation to it, okay? Okay, I'm gonna give you $10 million. You can spend it however you want. I'm gonna make one change though, one simple change. You, if you accept this money, you can't wake up tomorrow. This is your last day. And the money goes with you, that's it. Once you're gone, it's gone. Now, do you, listen, do you take my $10 million? I saw some of you like, all right, what time is it? How much time we have left in the... Right, it's not midnight yet. Is it going midnight? Is that what I have? Here's the deal, ready? I'm gonna give you $10 million, but tomorrow you don't wake up. Today's your last day, that's it. That's it. Now, I imagine you guys say, thank you, but no thank you. I personally would like to wake up and see my kids tomorrow. I would like to still see my spouse. I would still like to spend some time with my family. Tomorrow is way too soon. Okay, ready? Here's what we just realized. Waking up tomorrow, having new mercies in the morning for you is worth more than $10 million. You waking up tomorrow, just waking up is more valuable to you than someone handing you a check for $10 million. When he says this, that's what he's saying. Listen, every morning, every morning, his mercies are new. Whatever's going on in my life, ready? I woke up today. Whatever's going on in your life, you woke up today. Listen, not everyone can say that. There were plenty of people who were alive yesterday on this earth who went to sleep and didn't wake up today. But it wasn't you. So for you, we say, thank you, Lord. Your mercies are new every morning. He reminds himself, as bad as it is, ready? I woke up today. I got another day. And I'm not promised tomorrow. You aren't promised tomorrow. But today, you woke up. There will be, ready for this? There will be a day when you don't wake up. That day's coming. Hopefully it's far off, but it's coming. And every one of us knows it. And, and listen, our culture, our world is trying to do everything it can to put that at bay, to extend a little bit more time, trying to solve it, whether it be medically or technologically. How do we find, like, how, what's the secret to, like, like, like to, to aging and to, not, and to not getting older and to not die? How do we prevent that? How do, we, how do we just keep holding on for one more day, one more day? And everyone knows this. It doesn't matter what we try. We know the day is coming. Your day is coming. Now, this is gonna sound really weird, but this is true. And in fact, nothing is more true than what I'm about to say. Part of my job as a pastor, ready? Is to help you die well. To prepare yourself for that day when you don't wake up. To make sure that you really are ready 
on the day you don't wake up to say, all right, I'm ready for the Lord. I'm ready to see him. We, don't, we can't all say that, and, and I get it, and that's fine, and we're not all in the same place on our faith journey. Totally understand. I was the guy one point starting out going like, I don't even know what that means. I'm not ready to meet the Lord. Like I, I, I barely, I'm just starting this stuff. I'm trying to figure out all of this. Part, part of what we do here is so that you can be prepared for the day you don't wake up. But today's not that day. Today you woke up. And you admittedly say that's worth more than a $10 million. I would rather have one more day than a nice bank account. And guess what? You got it today. Today, you exchanged $10 million to wake up. And tomorrow, hopefully, Lord willing, we wake up again. And we experience the same thing that God's great love and compassion allows us to wake up and experience new mercies in the morning. Now, if you enter every day, you wake up every morning, you enter the day with that perspective, it might change how you see life. It might change even the struggles and the, the things that you normally would complain about, or like this frustration, or man, I really need to start this, or I, I didn't do that, or this thing didn't go my way, or, or like, man, this, is, this, this, this person is just, it's really hard right now with them. Like, all right, there are so many, listen, there are so many things. There are so many things in our life that are vying for our time, that are trying, are trying to tear you down. But listen, you woke up today. As bad as they may be, you got another day of life. Jeremiah reminds himself, God's great love and compassion and his mercies, his love and compassion are new every morning. Here's the second thing he reminds himself of not just God's great love and compassion, but God's great faithfulness. Verse 23, he says this, ready? Great is your faithfulness. Plain and simple. God, because of his great love and his compassion, they never fail, they're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. This sounds, you know what? This would make a really good song. Really good hymn, right? What do you know? This is literally where we get the words for the hymn. Right? Great is your faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Every morning, right? Morning by morning, your mercies are new. It's from Jeremiah in, the, in the, the depths of his soul, at the worst moment, the hardest struggle in his life, he reminds himself of just how good God is. That great is God's faithfulness. And then he reminds himself of a third thing. God's great salvation. Not just God's great love and compassion, not just God's great faithfulness, but now his great salvation that he really can and does save. Verse 24, he says this, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. I remember as a new Christian, I remember people saying that, the Lord is our portion, and I'm like, I don't know what that means. What it, like, I mean, portion, for me, I understand portion as like the size, the amount of food on my plate. The Lord is my portion. Well, I hope he's a meat eater because I got a lot of meat on my plate. Lord is my portion. What does that mean? He says, the Lord is my portion. And the depth of the soul, like when, when things are the worst, it's like this is what I remind myself. The Lord is my portion. Whatever that is, we should probably figure out what he's saying. The Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. Because he's my portion, I'm gonna wait. Whatever portion is, he says, that's the thing. 
that gets me to wait on him. The Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly, here it is, for the salvation of the Lord. The Hebrew word for portion has to do with rationing or dividing something, but in particular, it's connected with inheritance. It's the portion of inheritance that you get from your father. When your dad dies, when he passes away, now it's, it, all his wealth goes to uh, amongst the kids, and, and your portion is your inheritance. So here's what he's saying, ready? My inheritance, what I want, is just the Lord. I don't need money. I don't need stuff. I don't need to make sure all my circumstances are in order and everything's fine. He's literally saying this. Here's what I want, ready? Lord, what I want for my inheritance is just you. You are my portion. You're my inheritance. You're, the, you're, the, you're the, the thing that I get that I'm looking forward to. And so because you are my inheritance, I'm gonna wait for you because you're worth more than anything. More than anything. Even though I don't understand and I don't feel you and it feels like you're against me, I know your mercies are new every morning and I know that you are my portion, my inheritance, so I will wait for you. God is the source of his joy and happiness and blessing. And so he's content with whatever the Lord provides, whatever it is, whatever it may be. All right, I'm in. He doesn't want riches or honor or fame or even his friends. Nothing is as valuable as the promises of God. And so he says, you are my portion. When we make God our portion, we can wait patiently for him to work in our lives knowing that he's in control and his plans are always good. Though, though we don't always understand or we ask why, we, like Jeremiah, can and should say, yet I'm reminded, I will remind myself of God's goodness, how great his love is and his compassion and his faithfulness and his salvation. And so I will wait patiently for him. Here's what we see. Some of you, you've gone through this time and, and you, like you can relate with what he's saying. Not the same experience, certainly, of course, but, but, but how, how he felt, how it felt. Others of you, you might be going through this right now and you're like, this is it, man. This is, this is what I need to hear. This is, okay, I've been doing it all wrong. And still many others of us are saying, I can't really relate to this. My life's been, I mean, it's not perfect, but I haven't had struggles and for you, ready? Listen, this, this, we don't want this, but Lord willing, this may be future for you. That there may be a time where all of a sudden this comes to mind and oh, I'm, oh, I, th I think I'm there. I think this is it. Like I can't imagine. Some of you will be thrown into this against your will and not something that you've done on your own. It's not because of something you've done Last service, this isn't in my notes, but I felt like I needed to bring this up, and so I'm gonna do it here again. Um, many of us, many of us have been in church, been in church a long time, and what we've been told is that if there's struggle or hardship in our life, it's your fault. It's my fault. Because I just should have had more faith. 
you've maybe been told, well, if you had more faith, maybe that thing wouldn't have happened. You were blamed for the crisis in your life because you just should have been a better Christian. Whoa. Can I say a couple things? First, uh, how many of us have ever heard that? You're, or, or you've been told that? Where you've, you've been told, well, listen, this is happening in your life because you didn't have enough faith or because you didn't pray enough. Okay, number one, let me say I'm sorry. I'm sorry that was the theology you were led to believe. That, that all of the terrible things happening in your life is because you didn't have enough faith. You've probably felt just how damaging that is. That you, that you somehow are to blame for all of the wrongs you're experiencing. And you heard this from maybe a well-meaning person, a well-meaning Christian, but what they've done is they've now blamed the victim for the crime. And you felt that. And, and you might have even thought, that must be what God says. So let me say, I'm sorry. Because, listen, that is not good biblical theology at all. If that were true, then nothing bad would ever happen to all of these incredible followers of the Lord. But when you open the Bible, do you know what you see? Every single person in it struggled and had hardship and experienced crisis. And these were some of the most faith-filled people ever. I, I remember um, in my life, I remember um, experiencing a, a, some, some trauma, some struggle in my family. My, my parents went through divorce and, and I remember that time very, very, very distinctly. And I've shared before, so I won't get into it now, but I, I also remember this. I also remember hearing from a person, a lady who gave me wisdom. I don't know if you ever had this. Someone says something you know is true, but you hate them for saying it. Like, I don't, I don't need to hear that right now. I know you're right, but I don't want to hear it. That was me. And she said, well, maybe, maybe you're experiencing this so that you can relate and help others when they go through this. And I said, that may be right, but I don't like it. <laughs> I don't want to go through crisis or struggle or trauma or hardship just so I can relate and help other people. I'd rather not have any struggle or hardship. And I'm gonna guess we're all in the same boat. All of you would be like, yeah, those are the two options, right? Option A is no hardship. Option B is hardship and help other people. I'll take option A. I would love, but that's not how it works. And when your option B happens, listen, it isn't because you didn't have enough faith. It isn't because you were a bad Christian, because you wouldn't pray enough. If that were the case, it would never happen to this next guy. When life is hard, you are in good company. And there's a guy we call Paul. He used to be named Saul. He's an apostle. He, he wrote half of the books of the New Testament. Kind of a big deal, right? This guy, like, uh, if we were to name the, the most faithful people, the most faithful Christians in history that we all would know and be like, yeah, man, he's on that list. He's on the top five. He might be the top one. Like there's Jesus and then there's probably Paul right under him. On my best day, I probably have half as much faith as Paul did, right? This guy was not lacking faith, but you know what he experienced? Hardship and struggle 
and crisis and trauma and turmoil. He experienced all of that. And it wasn't because he lacked faith. This guy was literally writing the Bible. He's writing it. He's got plenty of faith. And yet he experienced all kinds of crisis. Here's what he says. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. Awesome 90s band also. (laughs) To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And then here's what he says. He's gonna give you insight in his life. Let me, he's like, let me, let me explain what I've been going through. He says, we are hard-pressed on every side. Like, I've got pressure from every angle of my life. On every side, I'm getting pressure. But he says, but I'm not crushed. I'm not crushed. There's a limit to this. We are hard pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. He said, we're perplexed. We're confused. We don't understand it all, but ready? But we're not in despair. It doesn't lead to the point of of having no hope. Listen, I'm going through it, but you know what? I'm not in despair because I know who God is. In verse nine, he says, we're persecuted. And, and, And when he says persecuted, he doesn't mean like, you know, someone commented on your Facebook post negatively and you're like, oh man, there was this persecution. Like, He's, he's going, no, 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 I literally got scars on my back from when they flogged me. He's, I've been stoned. I've been physically, like, tr- they tried to kill me a number of times. When he says I've been persecuted, oh, he means it. Like real, real persecution. He said, we've been persecuted, but here's what we haven't been. Ready? We haven't been abandoned. He's with us this whole time. He, he's not relieving us from the hardship, but he's there in it. When we're in it, he's right there with us. I don't feel alone ever. He says, we're struck down. I've, I've been struck down, like, to the point where, oh, well, you know, if, uh, if God is for us, who can be against us? He also writes that, but he's also like, oh, man, you know, I'm saying that as I've been punched and laying on the ground, he's like, oh, well, they didn't, he didn't protect me from that punch. But, but he says, I've, I've been struck down, but listen, ready? I'm not destroyed. I am not destroyed. Life will hurt, but I'm not destroyed. And then he says this, and he gives this perspective that's like, that makes sense. And if we, if we keep the same perspective, it will change how we see these times. We always carry, he says, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. He's like, I got the scars. Like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm persecuted. I'm, as I, I'm just a dead man walking, reminded myself of, of that I owe everything to him, and I've, just, I've given my life to him. I've, I've denied myself and, and taken up my cross. I'm physically, like, been, been persecuted. Everywhere I go, I'm just reminded of the fact that Jesus died for me, and, like, man, I've, like, there's been so many times where I've almost had to die also. And he says, all of this has happened, ready? So that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. Here's what he's saying, ready? I experience all of this craziness, all of this hardship, all of this struggle so that I can show Jesus to other people. This is the truth to that statement. Maybe you're going through this. The statement I heard that I'm like, oh, I hate that. Maybe you're going through this so that you can help other people. Paul says, listen, I, I've, I've experienced all this and there's limit to it. Like, all of this is happening, and there's, but, but like God is still going to persevere and, and preserve me through it all. And yet maybe, maybe I'm experiencing all of this and the death of Jesus literally in my body so that I can present his life through that same body. What if, legitimately, what if one of the reasons God lets us go through times of, of absence and silence and, and struggle is so that when we come out on the other side, we say, man, 
I know what it's like. And I'm, I'm the person, Lord, I'm the person that can help someone else now when they go through it. What if, what if God lets you experience hardship as a loving, compassionate father, not because he wants to see you in pain, because he wants to prepare you to be able to minister to someone else in pain. And that can only happen, ready? That can only happen if you've experienced the same kind of pain they have. What if he's allowing his family, his church, to experience real trauma and hardship because he knows it's how he prepares them to share the gospel with the rest of the world? All right. That's Paul's perspective. And he says, okay, so be it. All the more than I'll boast about Jesus. What if, what if God is allowing us to experience this because he knows it will, in the end, expand his kingdom and his people and increase the amount of people that will be with him forever? That, that might be worth going through some struggle. Jeremiah Understands even in the midst of all of this craziness, I remind myself of the wisdom of this statement. Ready? This too shall pass. This too shall pass. As hard as it is, listen, and without downplaying the struggle, because the struggle is real and it's hard. But listen, ready? It's not forever. This too shall pass. So Lord, sustain me through this. Keep me in the midst of this even though I don't even feel you, even though it feels like you're not even listening to me right now, I still remind myself of your great compassion, your great love, and your faithfulness, and your mercies new every morning. So I will wait patiently for you. What do we do when life is hard and God seems absent? Well, we remind ourselves of God's character. Last week I gave you homework. This week, because I know most of you didn't do it, (laughs) your homework is the same, right? Here's your homework, okay? Throughout this series, your work, your job, the challenge is for you to remove one distraction, not all distractions, how can you do that, but to remove one distraction from your life. Maybe one less TV show, one less Netflix thing, maybe wake up just a little bit early, maybe go to bed a little bit later, whatever it is where you can kind of create some margin, some space in your life where you're gonna remove something and then say instead, now I'm gonna replace that by spending some serious focused time with the Lord. And it can be 10, 15, 10 minutes. It can be five minutes. You can say, you know what? I'm gonna read a chapter of my Bible a day. I'm gonna read a chapter of the Gospel of John. It'll take you five, seven minutes to do. But I'm gonna practice doing that every day every day for the next month and and let's just see what happens let's just see how close you feel when you're when you're intentionally focused on the lord specifically every day i promise you this isn't homework to be like you guys should be doing this this really is homework to say hey you want to be doing this i'm telling you to spend time with the lord maybe maybe he feels silent because you just simply haven't been focusing on him so would you do this? Would you stand with me as we get ready to, to worship the Lord together? But before we do, let me, let me pray for us and pray over us as we, um, as we go about focusing on the Lord together. So will you bow with me? Lord, we don't like, we really don't like silence. It, we, it's, it can be really uncomfortable. And, and when that silence is from you, it's terrifying. 
So help us, Lord, in the midst of our struggle, of our hardship, of our crisis, of our pain, to remind ourselves of what you're like, of who you are. Help us to then internalize and be able to share how good you are with those around us. Lord, help us to stay close and connected with you. And in those moments when we don't, to realize I need to intentionally focus on you and to remind myself of just how good you are, that your mercies are new every single morning. We love you, Lord. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.